my fears almost kept me from doing a lot of things God wanted me to do. I can't spell. So I was asked to go speak at a Bible college, or asked actually to come on staff. I started a Bible college with some other guys in Seattle, and see, it was small and it wasn't so bad. But I was asked to go to an established Bible school to be a professor where we used overheads and I can't spell. I know I can't spell. And the fear that came over me, these kids are going to know that I'm dumb. Well, they're going to find out after I'm there, well, I am anyway. But I mean, going, a professor that can't spell, you know, that's unheard of. <laughs> it can't be. And yet I knew I had to go. But I almost didn't go because of the fear, and yet God was calling me to go. I had to what? Face the fear that I don't spell well. And you know what? The kids loved me enough they would laugh when I would misspell a word. You know, the eyes on the wrong part and all that kind of stuff. And you know, it's, what I thought wasn't... Um, I mean, it's so amazing. I can't write well. And Moody calls me on the telephone three times to ask to write a book for them, and I told them, no, no, no. I didn't know that was not normal. You, you write a book and get a publisher to publish it. Publishers don't call you on the phone, who I don't even know, and tell me I should write a book. I said, how can I write a book? I'm not a writer. And I thought, three times it must be God. And I was fearful. You, you write a book, you know, everybody's going to know you're strange and all that other stuff. We wrote the book, and today it's a bestseller, one of the bestsellers of Moody Press. I'm not a writer. I got a call from Dallas from a prayer retreat, and they asked me to come down and lead and speak to an international prayer retreat. Well, I pray at that time, but I was not a man of prayer, and they had the wrong guy. One of them was the president, the ex-president of Dallas Seminary. A very godly man was part of that board. And I turned them down three times again. Well, get this guy. He's really a prayer person. Get this person. Really a prayer person. And they, they wanted me. I said, are you sure? Because I would not pick me. I said, how long do I have to prepare for this thing? They said, you get a year and a half. So I went home and told my wife, says, you won't believe this, but I'm going to speak at an international prayer conference in Dallas, Texas in a year and a half. And my wife looked at me and she said, they must be hard up for speakers. <laughs> my wife's the prayer person. And she's a very godly woman, a real prayer person. But guess what it did? It forced me to look at why don't I pray like I know I should pray. It forced me. I mean, wouldn't you be kind of fearful as kind of a now I lay me down to sleep guy to go to speak to people from all over the world on prayer? Well, i got to tell you this. Well, this is way off from what I'm doing. Um, but I had to figure out why don't I pray, right? I know about prayer. I've worked with two godly men. Mark Bubeck is one of the most godly men of prayer I've ever known in my life. He would go his church on Saturday and walk to the church and pray for every single individual in that church and he would maybe pray eight or nine hours and didn't know it. Man, I'm going to pray a long time and look at my watch. Six seconds. Oh no. <laughs> you know, I really grabbed all the God. You know what I mean? It's just, I, I get lost in prayer. I can't believe it. I mean, I, I never thought that could happen. That, not me. I, I'm, a, I'm a goer and I'm a doer 
and you guys pray for me. See, I'll do it. You pray. I'll get out there. I'll do it. But God says, uh-uh, Logan, you better start getting the prayer life. And so I began to look, and I found out probably the best place as a start is the most important prayer in the Bible. The inspired prayer. The prayer that Jesus said we're to pray. He said, pray like what? This. And it's our Father, which art in heaven. Now, Bill Gothard, when I went, this guy walked all over me. I wasn't happy I went. He knows I was upset. He was charging money to hear him preach the gospel. Nobody ever charged money to do that. And I was offended, and I wasn't going to go up to Seattle to hear a guy who had no idea who this character was that stood on a table and wrote on a blackboard. You know, that, that was the thing. But someone promised me he'd give me my money back if I didn't like it. So I thought, well, maybe I could go. If I don't like it, I, this guy will give me my money back that I paid to hear a guy preach. Unheard of. You know, you take offerings. I wonder why you didn't know about offerings. Well, anyway, I went, and he got all over me the first night, self-image. I felt... You know, I'm tall, I'm ugly, you know, I just felt ugly and, you know, all this stuff. And I'm dumb and I'm stupid, you know, all those lies because my dad told me that for years. So, you know, all, all this stuff I couldn't believe. And then he got on bitterness. Oh, as a pastor, I don't hate my father anymore since I got saved. I just don't like him. <laughs> You know, and I had to deal with getting the bitterness towards my dad out of my life. Well, this all goes to prayer. Because I thought, I, I might as well start with the Lord's Prayer. You know, I've gone through three Bibles. In fact, I was telling Paul, my right-hand man, I have in my home 74 Bibles that belong to me, and 72 of them have been read. And when I go through a Bible and mark it, I don't read it again. But I went through three Bibles because I want to know about prayer, and I marked every time I use a green, you know, I have this thing, you know, it has different colors, and I use green to mark every time someone talked to God, and every time God talked back, and if there was a prayer promise, I put it all in green. I thought, if I want to understand prayer, maybe I ought to go to the book, the book you know, maybe I, uh, this would be good. But I want you to know, I've also read other books. I have over 1,400 books that I've read in my library on prayer in the deeper life. So I don't want you to think I haven't really looked at the subject. But I had to start with why don't I pray? You know, why as a pastor and been around Bill Gothard and all these other who's who and the zoo people, and why is it I don't pray? And so I was thinking about that. I said, Lord, you've got to tell me, why don't I pray? Well, I pray, you know, God, I need gas, or we need some money, or Lord, no one's giving to the ministry right now, and we're going to, you know what I mean, that kind of stuff, but not really prayer. You know, my idea of prayer was giving God the to-do list. Okay, God, this is what you're supposed to do for me, and thank you, and go on. I learned prayer was much more than that. Anyway, all of a sudden it dawned to me, when I said our Father... I did not have bad feelings. If I had bad feelings, what would that indicate? I still hadn't fully forgiven my dad, right? When the, if the word father brings up some bad feelings, then I haven't forgiven my dad. Okay. But when I said, our father, guess what feelings I had? None. 
I could say our chair, our couch, our drapes. There was no feelings. Now, I've been raised very, very conservative, and I see these charismatics getting all fuzzy about God, and I'm going, I don't know if I can be that fuzzy God, but I think I'd have a little more fuzz than what I've got. You know what I mean? Just, <laughs> isn't there good, should be some feeling with the name of God, some warm feelings or whatever. And so I asked God to help me. And it's been a long journey, it's been wonderful. Um, but I have to get back to where I was going to start. Bill Gothard talked about biographies. I can't believe he did that. He never told me. So I went to the bookstore and got some that you ought to be reading. I brought them here to say, you guys ought to read these things. Okay. And Bill got me reading biographies. You know, they that walk with wise men. Who's, what wise men do I know? Well, a lot of the wise men I knew were professors that were in a Christian college and more secular in their lifestyle. I, they were, that was too wild. So we began to read biographies, and a biography that every one of you needs to read, every one of you, if you don't read this, you flunk as a Christian as far as I'm concerned, and that's Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secrets. Every single Christian ought to have read that book. If you come to IMI, you have to read it, or we don't graduate you. You stay there forever. We have one student there. You should see him. He's got all long white hair. Came as a young kid, white hair. <laughs> Still hasn't read the book yet. You're not graduating. Uh, <clears throat> These, these I pick because of what they have, but that book, that book caused me to start a ministry where we have ministered to thousands of people all over the world and charged not one penny. And that put pressure on them to give. Where if this is God's ministry, and God will provide. And we're trusting him to provide, and he has for all these years. Okay, now for the girls... There's two good books, and Isabel Kuhn is what I wanted my daughters to read. Now, there's only two books in her life. This one is by Searching. It's really great. It's how she went to a Bible camp and got a vision for the rest of her life to work with the Lisu people up in the mountains of China. This is the beginning one where she struggled and all this stuff. In the arena of Isabel Kuhn is the story of her whole life. And here is a gal that made a real difference in China. Unbelievable. Woman of faith. Failed. She wasn't perfect, but really neat lady. All girls should know who Isabel Kuhn is. Um, oh, I was going to share one other thing with the guys. Once you start getting your life right, God's going to give you strange opportunities. I'm in... Kansas City, I'm teaching at a Bible college there, and a guy walks up to me, and he says, hi, do you know who I am? I said, no. He gave me his name. He said, no, I know who I am. I said, no. He said, well, I play baseball for the Royals. Oh. I said, that's good. That's really nice. You know, make a life playing baseball. Um, and he said, I want you to mentor me. Or I want you to disciple me. And I said, well, I'm sorry. You know, I really don't like baseball. And I've never been to a Royals game, ever. He said, good. <laughs> and I was able to mentor him through some of the most terrible, wonderful Christian man, mentor him through some of the most difficult times in his life. Here I am, non-sportsy, don't go to baseball, but God has me mentoring a guy in baseball who played in the series and all this other stuff, got a series ring and all this other stuff. 
I'll, I'll tell you guys, you cannot believe the doors that God will open for you if you will start dealing with the issues that God wants you to deal with. One at my first was self-image. That was so big. And then bitterness followed that and all these different areas. Another book for the guys is Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott died when I was in Bible school. You're probably not aware of this, but this was back a long time ago. This is in the 50s. When Jim Elliott died, hundreds of Bible college students across America volunteered to become lifetime missionaries. And those people are now retiring from the mission field because of his death. All the wonderful things he did when he was alive, the world has been reached through his death by others saying, I will go, I will take his place. Okay, that, that's three. They're over in the bookstore over there. I want to give you a biography story. It's, we have, did I tell you how many biographies we have in our house? We have over a thousand. When we got rid of the TV, we bought biographies for our kids to read. I mean, you got to do something. Well, TV, you know, and before I thought it was really good that Bert and Ernie were training my kids, and what was it, a something else, a garbage can guy, I don't know, you know, all of that. And I thought it was great, they're learning all these things, one of these things is not like the other, one of these things just doesn't belong. I thought that's clever. Um, and then I sat there and I thought, we're trying to raise godly kids, this isn't so good. You know, they make fun of a guy's nose and, you know, all this other stuff. <clears throat> so anyway, we thought we better get rid of this. So we got rid of the TV, but what are you going to do in its place? Our kids went to public school because they weren't bad enough to be homeschooled. They were not thrown out of anything, so we didn't have to homeschool. Because remember in those days, homeschool kids were the ones that were thrown out of public school, thrown out of private school, and the government said they have to be educated, and so they had one homeschool program, and so kids that were homeschooled, it's like, you don't look that bad. <laughs> you, you don't get the looks now, but let me tell you, in Gothard started with homeschooling, a lot of people looked. These kids look okay. You know, they don't look weird. <laughs> they look like they have all their marbles, but maybe they don't know how to play the game. You know, there's something not right here. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> So we have this collection. I don't know. I know I stopped when we had 1,000, but we bought more. Our, our bookshelves with the biographies are double, double booked to fit there. Well, you know, 1400, over 1,400 books on prayer and the deeper life, almost 1,000 books on warfare, over 1,000 books. You know, I've got books stacked on top of the bookcases to the ceiling. It looks awful. I mean, if we ever had an earthquake, I'll be dead, you know. <laughs> I knew it. I was killed by biographies. It's all Bill's fault. <laughs> well, let me tell you, biographies can be a lot of fun. I, I wish I could tell you the name of this biography. I can't. But it's about the screwball. And I dreamt about him. I mean, last night God was, woke me up and told me about this guy. And I didn't know Bill was going to do the, this. And he said, after you show these books, tell the life of this guy as much as I can. Okay, this guy is from Australia. This guy is an absolute nutcase for God. I mean, just, you'd love him to death, but he's not typical. 
You know, he's not in the mold. He was willing to be who he is. So they're in Erinjai, you know, with the cannibals and the things out of their nose and, you know, and um, pig grease over them. They said it's really interesting when you're in an um, auditorium like this with these guys with pig grease and it's hot. So it smells like someone's cooking bacon. <laughs> anyway, so they're out, they're going out in Erinjaira looking for tribes of cannibals that no one's gone to. And that's what they were doing. So they're walking along, looking, and all of a sudden they come to an entourage of men that are greeting them with clubs. And they know this is the end. And so he got very, very creative as he came to the very end here of we got to do something. He cried out to God, and God told him what to do. So what he did, he went and pulled out his false teeth. Stuck him back in. They still had the clubs. They looked at him, and he went. They dropped their clubs, and guess what they did? No, no, And they forgot about killing these guys, and they went on. <laughs> I mean, they were so overwhelmed with the, how wonderful these guys were taking their teeth out, or the one guy was. <clears throat> well, I'll give you another one. This is even better. Yeah, I've worked with uh, 42 different mission agencies, and I've been all over the world, and it's been thrilling. For a guy who didn't have much money, I've been in a lot of places where people paid for me to go. <laughs> that was so neat. Well, anyway, um, this guy, um, when, when you get into these tribal areas, it may take 30 days by canoe to get there. And JARS, Jungle Aviation Radio Services of Wycliffe, they have developed an airplane that can land in a very short space. And so, because the helicopters are too expensive and missions tried them and they got rid of them. They couldn't afford a helicopter. You know, it breaks down and dust gets and dirt gets in and all that stuff. So you have to make an airstrip. Well, these places are not, they're full of boulders and huge trees. They got to clear the jungle. So you clear the jungle then you have the boulders, and how you get rid of a huge boulder that half of it is underneath the ground, and this whole thing, it's real simple. You take wood, you build a fire around it, get it hot, pour water on it, and it cracks. Then you take off the cracks, and you heat it again, and pretty soon it disappears. Well, this Australian guy is trying to clear a runway so they can get food in and mail and all this other stuff. And as long as he stayed, with these cannibals, they'd give them fish hooks and other things, paid them with stuff that was important. As long as he stayed there, they would work. But as soon as he went up to the house, they would stop and wait for him. Well, this airship's never going to, I mean, there's a lot of other things that have to do besides stand there. So what he did was unique. There was a stump at the top of this. Did you read the book? You were laughing. I thought maybe you read the book. There was a stump at the top of where they're making this air thing. So he took out his glass eye, 
stuck it on the stump and pointed it towards the workers. He'd go in the house and they kept working like crazy because he was still watching them. <laughs> well, I tell you, biographies are, are neat. I mean, he's a godly man, but it's so neat to see the creativeness and, and these people who really touch people for God. And they were unique people. That's what's so neat. They weren't all the same. They were, they were different people that were willing to be different. It was really, really good. And one more I need to start with, because definitely this came from God. As I said, when God was speaking all this stuff to me last night, and I'm trying to think through all of this in the dark, and um, I said, God, you're just bringing all these experiences of my life up, and I haven't thought about these for years. I haven't talked about these things for years. You know, are you really sure you want me to share these things with these kids? I'm sorry I'm calling you kids, but, you know, I've got great-grandkids almost as old as you are. So, not quite. The oldest one is uh, three and a half. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> so, if I say kids, I call the guys that I am my kids, too. My wife said, they're men. I said, ah, they're boys. Give me a break. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, it's not a put-down. It just falls out. But... I, I need to share this one. See, Bill talks about fears. And I didn't know he was talking about fears. I didn't read the thing. And God began to talk to me about my fears and where he came in. I mean, it was so amazing when I heard Bill talk. I couldn't believe. I mean, I was going like, oh, God, you knew he was going to say well, I uh, have been on reservations all across the United States speaking to various Indian nations, American, you know, the true Americans. And there's been demonic situations at every one of those places, and even with the Crete and Ojibwe up in Canada. Now, wherever you speak on a reserve, there is demonic activity, and it is strong. The people live in fear of spirits. So I was speaking at this time to the Sioux Indians, Lakota Indians. And do you remember uh, in your history, you probably remember, um, what was that guy? Colonel, ah, I know his name is anything. What, what was the, who's the big colonel in the army that went to fight the Sioux Indians in South Dakota? General Custer. And General Custer saw a few Indians and he said, I think they're Sioux. <laughs> That's the last thing he said. <laughs> they wiped them out. Wiped out that whole group. You can go up there to where they were killed and look at the, the crosses they have for every soldier these Sioux Indians killed. So I'm on the reservation speaking to the Sioux. Every time I've been there, and I'm usually there for a whole week in counseling Indians with their Indian spirit stuff and everything, uh, there's a blizzard. And this time, I, I said, every time you guys want a blizzard, just ask me to come back to speak, because, you know, since I've been here, it, there's always a blizzard. Well, when you have a blizzard, I mean, it's so bad. There's so much snow. Why'd they come to hear me? I don't know. They're pushing the cars out of the parking lot because there's no traction. So they have to push them to the highway. So they're pushing these people's cars out. I mean, I wouldn't 
walk in knee-deep snow to hear me, let alone have my car have me to push that on the highway so they can get some more traction to get out of there. Well, I didn't know about UEP meetings. There was a lot, I was learning a lot about the Sioux culture, learning about, about their demonic stuff and so on, as dealing with the people that were under a lot of demonic stuff. But I didn't know about UEP meetings, but UEP meetings is like a home prayer meeting for the medicine man. And he just, they put some sage on the floor, they wrap him up in a star quilt, they tie it, he begins chanting, and as he chants, the, the, the spirits will untie him, the room goes pitch black, blue lights float around the room, and that's, the spirits are here now. And the guys tell me, oh yeah, in a sweat lodge, when they do the sweating stuff, when the spirits are there, blue lights float around the room. But there's not a sweat lodge that's hooked into electricity. I mean, these blue lights are not connected to anything, except for them, their culture, the, the spirits are here. So anyway, he was having these meetings, which I didn't know, against me as I was teaching Indians how to be free of wicked spirits. So he was having these meetings. Someone said, the, you know, the medicine man's having you weeping meetings. And I'm going, you know, so maybe someone died, and they're all weeping. I, I don't know what these, well, you know, I mean, I had no point of contact for that. Well, I go back to my motel. This is a, you, if you're going to see the, the president's faces, you drive right by where I was ministering. And uh, there's this motel on the reservation that is very old. The cement, the sidewalk goes right along the windows. You know, the cars, the sidewalk, and the motel. The, the windows had these, you guys wouldn't know, but these are drapes that are spun glass that were given during the war that you can see through, but they didn't come together and they kind of hung down. Three inches of snow blew in under the door into my room, was there the whole week on the floor. I had to step over this mound of snow to, to get out. So if you wanted to change your clothes and be modest, you went into the bathroom. Because if you had any light on, anybody walking by could see in. You might as well not even have drapes on the window. So I had changed my clothes. I got in bed. I shot up a quick prayer because I was really tired because I've been counseling Indians. Maybe it was midnight or so. And there's a blizzard outside. And I shut my eyes. And I got a creepy feeling. Now, I usually don't get creepy feelings. My wife gets creepy feelings. Other people get, you know, I mean, when someone gets a creepy feeling, that means it's like 4,000 spirits there, and finally I get, I, I just don't have that sensitivity. No matter where in the world I am, Africa, you know, wherever, I just don't sense it, but I see it in people. Immediately, I could see in someone's eyes if they're under the influence of spirits. But I don't have that sense, and it's fine with me. But I shut my eyes, and I got a creepy feeling. I opened my eyes, and the room was pitch black. I mean, you could have done this and not see your hand. I'm going, hmm. But this, in fact, there's a blizzard. Anybody ever been in a blizzard? Are blizzards black? Or when you look out, are they white? They're white. And immediately it's white. I'm going, oh, wait a minute. This is not of God. <laughs> Aren't you glad? I'm really. A little slow on the uptake, but this is not of God. And I just said this. I said, in the name, of, and I never had prayed this before, but God gave me the prayer that I needed at that time. I just said this. Whatever's here, I command you through the blood and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ to go back to the one who sent it. The room filled with light. 
not because lights came on, but you know, the outside light came in, I went back to sleep. People said, you want to sleep? I said, yeah, why not go to sleep? They were gone. <laughs> and I'm tired, you know, God, does God have more power than the enemy? Oh, you can say it. Have you experienced it? Do you see, when you experience biblical truth, it gets rid of fears. The first time I ever saw a demoniac was in Jerusalem. And it scared me to death. This guy, and we kept trying to get away from him. I didn't know what he was. Either he was crazy or he had demons or something. But this guy, I didn't want to be around. And they were, uh, my wife and I and another couple, and we're going, we go down. You ever been in Israel in those small little narrow alleys? Every alley went down. He's coming towards us. <gasps> we got to go. I mean, then I realized he was demonic. He went to, they had a little brazier where they're cooking meat. He picked up the hot coals to warm his hands. You know, when a guy holds hot charcoals, red hot charcoals in his hand, you can know he's more than crazy. You know, there's something else going on here. Well, I mean, that guy scared me to death. And if you told me I was ever going to deal with people like this, I'd say, you're nuts. I am a Bible fundamentalist. I am conservative, and we don't even believe in this stuff, let alone I'm not going to give my life to this craziness. But anyway, guess what happened next day? Back in the motel, we got a telephone call from the medicine man. And he asked if he could meet with us so we could explain the power of God. Because he knew there was a greater power that sent the demons back that he sent into my room. And he wanted to know something in that power. I called back and had the church praying. And we met with this man and, and answered and talked to him about the Lord Jesus Christ for about two hours. Guys, it's true. Greater is what? He that is in you than he that is in the world. Because the one in the world was created by God. And the God who created everything lives inside of me. Why do I have to fear these things? I don't. Don't go around looking for them. But if they find you, you know, stand against them. Okay, I, I, I wanted you to know that. I think as I've watched a lot of ATI, it's not just ATI, but a lot of ATI kids, they've got tremendous amount of information, but they've never experienced the truth of that information. Do you understand? See, when that truth becomes a part of who you are, you've made it. You've made it in that area. When I finally really realized all the stuff Bill was talking about self-image, you know, if I'd have talked to you 20 years ago, I'd be so scared that one of you wouldn't like me. And that would sink my ship. You had to like me. So I had to think about, would this be a, would they not like me if I said this? Or do I have to be clever? You know Johnny Erickson? Bill pulled a dirty trick on me. At Knoxville, he said, Jim, I want you to go over and speak to the teens. And he said, would you do that? I wasn't down for it. And I said, well, sure, when? He said, in about five minutes. I go, oh, great, what am I going to say? You know, i got three hours with the teens. What am I going to talk about? I walk over there, and guess who was speaking ahead of me? Johnny Erickson Tata. I wanted to push her off the platform. I mean, how could I follow this lady? I mean, come on. You ever heard her speak, kids? She's phenomenal. She's just she's awesome. I said, if I juggled fire and, you know, handled rattlesnakes to show I had power, 
You know, there's no way that I could even come up to Johnny Erickson Tata. Here she can hardly move. And when she got through speaking, the kids just, they thundered her with applause. I thought, oh, I'd like to just, maybe I could push her off and keep going. <laughs> but thank God, I, my self-image was intact. You know, otherwise I'd have died. You know, what can I do? Magic tricks, saw my wife in half. You know, what do I do? <laughs> Follow Johnny, who's such a godly, godly person. Okay, but see, I, I want more than anything that the truth you know would be internalized. That it would become a part of who you are. You'll be dynamic. No one can talk you out of stuff. I mean, you know. I, I like what someone said. I know that I know. How do you know? I don't know. But I know that I know. Okay. If you want to look at Psalm, Exodus 30, what time am I supposed to be through, Bill? I haven't got started yet. <laughs> what time is it over here? Robert? He left. Yeah, I haven't started with my message. <laughs> this is all preliminary warm-up. <laughs> I just want to know that I stop on time. Uh, you go until about 5:00. Oh, good. <clears throat> yeah. Well, I've been out to lunch for a long time. <laughs> Amen. Why don't we pray right now? Okay. Father, we, we are thankful for your wisdom, for your guidance, and Lord, for your word. And I pray, Father, as Bill meets with this pastor, that I know there's a fear thing here. I pray that this pastor be open to the truth that Bill shares. Father, I pray your Holy Spirit would bring up just the right truth for this situation and that the pastor would have bold, be bold enough to walk in that truth, that you would be glorified. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> Exodus 34. This is a call of God to Moses for prayer. It's a good thing to study. There's two really good calls on prayer in Scripture, and this is one of them. And the thing is, Prayer is spending time with God. So God gave Moses a specific invitation to spend time with him. And he said, Moses, in spending time with me, get the tablets ready because I got a message. So when I meet with God, I don't necessarily need tablets, but it may not hurt to have paper. You know, speak, Lord. I want to put down what you say. I want to keep track of what you say. And then he said, Moses, be ready in the morning. Um, for most people, morning is the best time. And if you're not a morning person, I would pray that God would make you a morning person. Because I was not a morning person. I was a night person. You know, I'd be up really, really late at night, and I would sleep in. And I said, God, you got to help me. So now I'm able to get up, wake up usually at 3.30 or 3.15, to start the morning and go to work and so on. 
But I know when you've been a night person much of your life, and all of a sudden I kept looking, Jesus in the morning, you know, morning, morning, morning. All over Scripture, people are meeting God in the morning. And um, if you're trying to meet God in the afternoon, you're not meeting in the morning, maybe he's not going to show up. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, but see, Moses didn't sleep in. He didn't say, ah, you know, oh, you know, the, the, what we have today, that movie, I'm ready. <laughs> Remember through your speakers? Did you, were you guys awake enough to hear it? I'm not much of a whistler. You know, that thing. Oh, they just blast you right out of bed. Although they're starting with nice ones now. You should have been here years ago. They would start with, you know, a trumpet blast. And you thought it was a rapture. And you'd, <laughs> should I hold on to the bed or what? <laughs> I really want to make God in my pajamas. They're not my new ones. <laughs> <You know? clears throat> so he said, be, am I just listening from that chapter? Come up to meet God. I'll tell you guys, when you meet God, it's always an up experience. But come up and meet God. Present yourself to me on top of the mountain. I've been mentoring an alert guy for years and years and years. And we just have become very, very good friends. He just climbed Mount Whitney. Mount Whitney in Alaska is the tallest mountain in the world to climb. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Because Mount Whitney starts at what? Sea level. For all the thousands of feet. The other mountain, what's the other one everyone climbs? Yeah, but it starts like at five, six, ten thousand 10,000 feet or something. When you start climbing the mountain, you're already that high. But Whitney is the, the largest climb. Anyway, you read it. I didn't know that. He told me that. And going up, uh, they stopped. Some guy next to him, his sled started going. He reached for it and it pulled him off, and he was killed. Six people died climbing the mountain. In the three weeks, he and these other three guys were climbing up. Six people died climbing Mount Whitney. And uh, when they got to the top, very, very cold, and the wind blowing, and you know, below zero, all this other stuff, any part of your body that was not covered would instantly get frostbit or freeze. I mean, because a lot of guys didn't know they had a little piece or something, and they got frostbit or part of their face got frozen. Not of his group, but some of the people that were there. But, he, but can you imagine being on top of that mountain and looking? I made it to the top. Three weeks to get up that mountain in all the, it was not, it was not a picnic. You know, many times they said, in fact, they said this. They said, you know, I wonder if hell has fire. I wonder if it has snow, ice, and blizzards. <laughs> <laughs> They were telling me how difficult it was. Okay. And he said, no one is to come with you to the top of the mountain. There's times when you are to meet with God collectively or with a friend, but I'm telling you, you need to spend alone time with God. Every single one of you. If you do, you will be dynamic young people. But when you get your direction straight from God himself, it just, 
It'll change your life. And so we have Moses' response. He rose early. He went up as God commanded him. Moses was obedient to the call of God. When Moses saw Moses' uh, desire to hear from God, I mean, to get up early and all that he did, Moses was what? He really wanted God to talk to him. He really wanted to do it. When God saw that, God descended and spoke with him. And the Lord revealed to Moses aspect of his character, if you read in your Bible, that Moses would have never known if he hadn't spent that time alone with God. The Lord proclaimed himself as Jehovah, the eternal God, the great I am. He said, Moses, I want you to know I'm merciful, I'm gracious, I'm slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and I'm faithful. Moses responded to God speaking by bowing his head in worship. When God speaks to you, that's all you can do. It's, oh, wow. This is so important. Some of the most important times I've ever had in worship is by myself, alone with God. And in fact, there's things we won't be sharing here that we share in prayer retreats and prayer seminars and things like that. But see, there are things sometimes that God will share with you. In fact, we're told that when God shares secrets with you, sometimes those secrets are not to be shared with anybody. And that's in the Psalms. I think it's Psalms 24. So the first question I have for you, when was the last time you were alone with God? And I'm not doing it to put guilt on you. I'm saying you're missing something. You're really missing something. You know? But let me tell you what the children of Israel did. When God was going to speak, you know what the children of Israel said? Moses, you go up there. You talk to God. We don't want God to talk to us, and you come down and tell us what God says. You know what they were satisfied with? A second-hand encounter with God. They didn't want a personal encounter with God. Gothard, you have an encounter with God and tells us what God says. You understand that? I'll go to church. And my, let my pastor tell me what God says. I would like to know what God told you this morning. What's God's special message to you today? See, I don't want a secondhand encounter with God. I want to have a direct encounter with God. Okay. And I'm going to meet with him so he can give me a message. If he's got nothing to tell me, thank God. It was still wonderful. I was with God. Other times he'll give me things that I don't know what's going to happen in our counselees that are coming that are under the influence of demons. I don't know what's going to happen. Okay. Now, in Matthew 6, we've got to look there. Uh, in Matthew chapter 6, we have God calling again. He called Moses to meet with him alone. And in Matthew 6, we have Jesus talking and giving us a call. Matthew 6, 6, 
Jesus said, but when thou prayest, enter the closet. God is calling us to the secret place. Secondly, what does he say? Shut the door to your secret place. Just shut the door. And you know that when you go in the secret place, you know you're going to find there? The Lord. He's already in the secret place, and he's been waiting for you. How long has he been waiting? Where he could talk to you, share his heart with you, share truth with you, encourage you. I don't know what it is, <clears throat> what he's going to say. Excuse me. <clears throat> I don't know what he's going to say. But remember Samuel, when he went in alone with God, what did he say? He was just a kid. Speak, Lord. I'm listening. I'm here. What do you want to tell me? It was interesting. I asked a girl this morning if she heard the wake-up call. I said, oh, no. She said, I wasn't in my room. I was in the stairwell getting alone with God. Pretty good, right? She's out there in the stairwell to get alone. 